0: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: If you're a member of the Los Angeles Rams organization at all in any capacity and you're watching this, I have one request. For September games, please turn on the air conditioning. I understand it's an open stadium, but good <laughs> Lord. EJ and I were there week one of last year for the season opener. We were in the very top row of that stadium. And that is the closest I have ever come to being cooked alive. So for the love of God, install misters, install an AC, do something. Because newsflash, California is really hot.
0: Yeah, That was a roasting. Um, If there was ever a roast of Brett Coleman, that's where it started. Anyway, we have a lot of RAM stuff to talk about today. So uh,
1: without further ado, Jay, please roll the intro. Welcome, welcome to the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my lovely co-host, EJ Snyder. EJ, it's Rams Day. How are you feeling?
0: I'm feeling good. We're in LA. We get to talk about the hometown team. There are exciting parts to this team. Boy, you're really selling it. (laughs) (laughs) What are the exciting parts, EJ? I think (laughs) offense is exciting, and we'll talk about all the parts of this team. You're trying so fucking hard not to trash this team right now. Well... The outlook is not quite as rosy as it was during the Super Bowl season. Let's put it that way. The offense could be, I would say, similar to that level. The defense, I have greater questions about, relying on a lot of young guys and didn't have the greatest year last year. But we'll go through all that. We'll go through how they did last year, the changes they've made, who's in the organization making those changes, and really what we think the outlook for 2023 is. It's a youth movement and with teams
1: going through youth movements, it really comes down to how fast the young guys get going. They had, I can't remember the exact amount of draft picks. I think it was like 13 or 14. Yeah. If half of them hit, that's basically the equivalent of an entire draft class hitting. And usually when an entire draft class hits, Uh things get turned around uh, pretty quickly. So uh, very much a shotgun approach. And they're kind of attacking this more with volume than anything else. But again, if they just have a 50% hit rate, that could be a transformative young draft class that at least by 2024, you know, maybe get the Rams back on track. But for 2022, I understand a lot of it was injury based, but still,
0: I think the lack of depth uh, unfortunately showed itself last year and a lot of the resulting moves we see in this offseason, this will help explain. This sort of set the table, this record, this effectiveness or lack thereof really said to them, okay, we got to turn the corner now. We can't just run it back one more time. So in 2022, overall record five and 12, largely they were a tough team to watch. Third in the division, home record of four and five, the road they really suffered, they were one and seven. And then Stumbled in the last five games to a two and three record. Not one of those teams that ended the year with the arrow pointing way up and everybody thinking, hey, we'll be back next year. Uh, Instead, they kind (laughs) of turned over the field, if you want to say. One of the things we have in these team summaries for you this year is the effectiveness summary, AKA how good are they at football? And we're basing that off EPA per play. We're talking about offense, defense, and points. In offense, we're splitting it between rushing and passing. Defense, same thing. Rush defense and pass defense, really talking about coverage. And then points scored and points allowed. We're giving you the league ranks. So obviously, the lower the number, the better. If you're number one in the league, you did great. Number 32 in the league, you probably wanted to make some changes. In terms of the Rams, the rushing offense was 17th. That's okay. Middle-of-the-road rushing attack is just fine in the modern NFL. The passing offense, which is really where they've staked their claim in years past, dropped all the way to 25th. Not acceptable and a reason that they didn't win a ton of games. The rush defense, for all the people that say, Aaron Donald can't defend the run. Yeah, bull. They were 10th in the league in rushing defense. That's a terrific mark. Passing defense, 27th. Not a terrific mark. That's going to cost them a lot of points and it costs them a lot of wins. In terms of points scored, they scored just over 300 points, 307. That was only good for 27th in the league. Again, tough to win a lot of games if you don't have a fully elite defense when you're scoring just over 300 points. And they allowed 384 points, only good for 21st in the league, gave them a point differential of negative 77. And that was good for 28th in the league. And anytime you're seeing stats that are 28th in the league, especially when you're talking about points, going to be a long season than it was for them in 2022 and I think
1: I'm willing to give them a pass on the passing offense and honestly on the offense as a whole because when you're running through what was it four different quarterbacks last year between Stafford Wolford I think Bryce Perkins, Perkins. got in there a little bit and then yep. we had Baker Mayfield uh come in towards the end And, you know, Cooper Cup got banged up. At one point, uh, Ben Skoranek and Tutu Atwell were, like, the leading snap getters in the receiving court. It wasn't, like, the entire year, but there was a couple games there where, like, we're relying on Skoranek, who is a nice piece, you know, as, like, a wide receiver who also plays fullback. uh, And and then (laughs) we're relying on him to to carry the load with Tutu, and it's just – there's only so much you can do there with – a fourth quarterback and a wide receiver three, uh, kind of carrying the load of the passing game. So I'll, I'll give them a pass on that. The run game was still fine, Yep, all things considered, and should be even better this year because of a young rookie who I'm super excited about they brought in. When we cover the draft, we'll get into Zach Evans. But I do expect a bounce back year. I really do. I, I think they've made some young additions uh, on offense that – should address some of the depth slash uh, interior offensive line weaknesses that they had, and as long as Stafford is just on the field, and as long as Cup is just on the field, and they're getting some sort of contribution from either Van Jefferson or show favorite Puka Nakua, they should be a lot better than what was it twenty five? I think it was right for for EPA per play at passing offense. Oh
0: yes, passing offense. 25th in the league. I would agree. I I can't imagine it's going to be lower than that. (laughs) No, not if those things that you highlighted occur. If they don't, if Stafford gets banged up, if Coop's not able to stay on the field, uh, it's going to be rugged. But overall, out of those six numbers in terms of offensive EPA, defensive EPA and points, their bootleg power score was 21.2. 21 overall, that's not bad. Again, the lower the score, the better there. That puts them at slightly better than the Bears, who were at 24 last year. You know, given the results on the field, it eh, pretty much matches up with the tape. Yeah, no, it holds up. I think uh, this,
1: this is one of the few teams where numbers, tape, didn't matter where you look. It just it wasn't great. wasn't awesome. Uh, now, in terms of schematic information, um, you know, when you have a, a stable coaching staff, like the one at McVay, uh it's pretty easy to kind of take the numbers from last year and project towards 2023 there's a lot of staffs where there's a bunch of turnover so we're kind of grasping at straws a little bit to kind of predict uh, where they're going to lean scheme wise not so with the Rams we have a pretty good idea of at least what they want to do last year they were 10th in outside zone calls Uh, McVay has always very much believed in outside zone Mm -hmm. Um, didn't really matter which quarterbacks he's had which running backs he's had he's always been an outside zone guy Inside zone was always more of a complementary piece for them. They're 26th in inside zone. They mixed in a lot more man blocking schemes last year than than I expected. They were third in duo. Uh, they were 13th in counter, and they were 20th in pin and pull schemes. So again, uh, more relying on duo if they want to kind of hit inside uh, in between the tackles, and then counter if they kind of want to. I mean called counter for a reason give themselves a <laughs> counter punch um counter is often used you know when they kind of uh get tilt fronts you know the six one services uh coach Vass has talked about that a lot in terms of like how fangio style defenses attack outside zone teams is they'll they'll put six bodies in the line of scrimmage one linebacker in the second level and just say go ahead every gap's covered uh you call counter into that to uh, like literally counter that front Because when there's less guys in the second level, there's less guys uh, to then take on the pullers and kind of fill those new gaps that are created by counter schemes. So that's why counter is relatively high for the Rams is because they're also a pretty heavy outside zone team. I expect that to carry over this coming season. And especially because they got Zach Evans, who himself, I don't want to call him an outside zone specialist, but that was his best run in college. He has great speed, great acceleration, and I think could potentially press the front side on those outside outside zone schemes a lot better than Akers, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they mix personnel. And again, with a swap in the offensive coordinator, whether that level sticks and how they use that. And most interestingly, as you said, how they counter things because One of the things about McVay early in his career that he overcame was he had his bread and butter, he would stick with it, he believed in it, and when it got countered, really league-wide, he had to sort of go back to the drawing board, and he did. It would be interesting to see how those shifts go and when their sort of primary hand gets blocked this year, what they fall back on or what they try and pull the defense with. There's going to be a lot to watch that's fun with the Rams. We don't want to say that there's not. Um, Not sure that they have the horses all the way across the board. If they stay healthy, they could be very interesting. But regardless, there's going to be a lot of learning. And you said it at the top, they're relying on a lot of young players. It'll be fascinating, certainly for folks like us that love the draft and roster building to see how quickly those guys develop. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for them.
1: In terms of uh, passing offense, again, I'm, I'm giving a lot of these numbers a pass because of who was on the field. Everybody was banked up. The whole offense was banked up. They basically shut it down with like four or five weeks to go in the season because they're like, it's it's over. It's over. rough out here. Uh, they were a pretty heavy play-action team, which McVay has always been a pretty heavy play-action uh, coach, I would say. They were fifth in play-action. They had the 19th fastest, or I guess it would be <laughs> 13th slowest, however you yeah. want to record that uh, time to throw at about 2.84 seconds, so a little bit below average. But again, for a heavy play-action team that likes to roll guys out a lot, that's somewhat to be expected. Um, air yards percentage means the percentage of, air, or percentage of their passing yards coming through the air rather than after the catch. They were 24th, so they were a, a pretty heavy yak team, which will play into uh, our draft analysis later in this episode because they got a couple guys, and particularly one guy who's very, very good after the catch. Uh, average depth of target, they were 27th. Again, for a team that likes to... Uh, you know run a lot of hard play action bootleg hit stuff in the flat that's fairly expected for them big time throw percentage 11th I have to imagine a lot of that was from that one YOLO game from Baker Mayfield where he's just (laughs) dropping dimes and they got that win late in the year Uh, that probably boosted them a little bit Uh, the rest of their quarterbacks not named Matthew Stafford not too many big time throws Uh, yards per attempt overall as a team they were 17th at 7.2 so definitely could have been worse but not up to the standard that we think of with a Sean McVay
0: offense and it's also a complete amalgamation right you're like when you look at those numbers you're like that came from four quarterbacks yeah it's it's not like oh this guy the starter played 80 percent and we saw one other quarterback for you know, 20% of the plays, there were four guys that played somewhat significant time for them. And you just kind of mash all those stats together. And again, there were a lot of injuries. Like you said, they shut it down late in the season for the most part. They were playing with what are essentially third and fourth wide receivers as one and two wide receivers. It's very difficult to look at that passing stats from last year and go, oh yeah, a lot of this is relevant moving into 2023
1: looking at their uh defensive stats again this is between the 20s not including the red Zone you can tell they were behind by a lot because they <laughs> were fourth in cover three yeah. in the entire NFL they called a lot of cover three why do you call it cover three so you can stop the run teams were running on them quite a lot or at least trying to run on them quite a lot sure I have to imagine that also contributed pretty heavily to their top 10 uh defensive how would I phrase it top 10. EPA allowed per play against the runs, is that the, the best way enough. to phrase it? Uh they had a good run defense. Yes. A lot of the a lot of the reasons why being they were in cover three a lot, so they had a lot of bodies. Uh it's much harder to stop the run from a too high safety look unless you have batshit insane safeties that can come down from a 12-yard shelf and you know still get tackles for loss, like a Buda Baker. Not every team has that. So again, that's uh, that's why they played a lot of cover three. Uh, They were 23rd and 0, 27th in just straight-up single-high man coverage. They were 23rd in cover 2. They were about average in quarters, literally 16th in the NFL. And they were 6th in quarter-quarter half, which they mostly used as a situational call against trips, as most teams tend to. Uh, You really only call quarter-quarter half in in that type of uh, situation where either you're playing quarters to the trip side or half to the trip side it's much riskier to play half to the trip side Uh, but you'll play half to the trip side if you have like a threat that you really don't think you can stop uh, (laughs) on the isolated side then you'll kind of play quarters to that side but anyway not to get too deep in the weeds it was a situational call against trips largely on third down for them i would imagine that if the offense is better and they're not getting run on so frequently that cover three percentage might come down a little bit. And maybe they'll get a little bit more balanced. But other than that, yeah, this kind of checked out. Like, I, I kind of think that we're going to see a lot of the same uh, next year, or rather this coming year, even with all the young talent. Because I don't think they have the corners to run cover one more than 25% of the time like, like they did last year. I don't necessarily think that They want to try to stop the run from cover two and run it more than 8.7% of the time. We're probably going to see
0: largely the same. Yeah, it'd be nice to see some of those numbers even out. They were a little bit extreme. It was pretty much cover three if they're running and quarter, quarter, half at sixth is one of the highest marks in the entire league. You'd like to see that even out a little bit, see a little bit more diversity or variety, but I'm with you. You got to have the right players to make that shift. Um, I think they have players who can play pieces of that role. Some of their safeties are very good at coming downhill, but (laughs) but if you're gonna play quarters and
1: still stop the run because you have safeties that can come downhill, that also means those safeties are essentially gonna have to hold up in quasi man coverage deep down the field. Again, having a safety that can do both is what makes that system so hard to do because
0: unless you have Javon Holland Good luck. Yeah, therein lies the rub for the Rams. So, uh, you know, without sort of automatic real-time substitutions where they can say, oh, that's what you're locking into, runner pass, I'll put this guy out there, which is not the way football works, uh, there's going to be a liability, and expect offensive coordinators to uh, push on that particular nerve until the Rams can find an answer for it.
1: In terms of blitz percentage, they were very, very high. They were ninth in terms of short yardage blitz percentage. They were also ninth in 3rd and medium blitz percentage at about 42.2%, which is very, very high. They were 6th in 3rd and long blitz percentage at about 45%. So this was definitely a team that recognized their pass rush last year, even before AD went out. It was AD and everybody else, uh, and they they couldn't get pressure with 4. I have to imagine that also contributed pretty heavily to them not calling that much cover two in long, in long yardage situations and why they had to kind of, uh, you know, lean a little bit more towards into bringing pressure and fire zones and all that kind of stuff. Also, by the way, fire zones are typically going to be three under three deep. So those get qualified as cover three. So that's also probably a big reason why they were fourth in cover three overall. Um, They brought a fifth guy consistently because they kind of had to.
0: Yeah, they couldn't win with four, especially later in the year. That was Raheem Morris just kind of putting the pedal to the metal saying, look, we're going to throw a lot of stuff at you. We hope something sticks. We hope somebody gets through and causes pressure because our coverage isn't holding up all that well either. If we just rush with four, they're going to get picked apart eventually. I'll take my medicine this way.
1: Yeah, overall, it was very much a year of desperation. It was a year of... (laughs) trying to get through it, of managing injuries, of not quite having the dudes they used to. The depth wasn't there. It was rough. And it wasn't really the coaching staff's fault. It wasn't really the player's fault. It it just happens, right? They blew their load in 2021. They got a ring. Last year was the reset year. This year is the reload year. Next year, 2024, is the payoff year. It's a very cyclical organization. They do this Consistently, and they try to give themselves little short peak windows every like three or four years. They're gearing up for another one, but they kind of had to take their
0: medicine, and it is what it is. Yeah, it's a fascinating career period for the pairing of GM and head coach. Less need is the GM, Sean McVeigh, the head coach. They had their high-high. There was questions about whether one or both of them would walk away at that time. There was a, a weird little two-and-a-half, three-week period where nobody really knew what McVeigh was going to do. Was he going to take a year off? Was he going to bolt to TV? Was he going to sort of say he wasn't done yet, competitive fires, and come back and, and be fully committed to coaching? Everybody kind of collectively held their breath. He announced, nope, I'm coming back to be a coach hasn't worked out super duper well. I wonder if he thinks that was the right decision, but he still seems hungry and Sneed has had to adjust too. They've had to adjust together. So when I say it's a fascinating portion of their career arc, they already climbed the mountain together. They got their ring. They both stayed. It hasn't gone exactly like they wanted it to, but not in an unexpected direction either. We knew they were gonna have to pay the piper for the way they built that run up to the ring. And they're both going with it and they continue to sort of adapt and we get to watch how fast or whether or not this sort of reload year works or whether they need to sort of tack on another reload year it's it's just really interesting to see this arc and and the rest of the league is watching it too because you know it's a copycat league and however you win the super bowl other teams are like maybe we should do that maybe we should pull out push all our chips into the middle of the table oh, maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> like, if we want sustained success, what if we don't win the ring? So there are a lot of people, not just us, watching this sort of path that both of these guys are forging through the league. Same thing happened to the Bucks
1: too, right? Like, they, they got Tom, they peaked, they paid everybody, they kept everybody together, they tried to go on another run. Ironically, the Rams are <laughs> the ones who ended that run uh, on their way to their ring. Um, and now the Bucks are suffering but I don't think they're upset by it. Like they got that Lombardi. They don't care. They were chasing one for 20 years. And I think they're okay with, you know, paying a a short term price for having a trophy in that locker room forever. You know, I, it's something that if I was in the Rams organization, every time I got
0: sad about losing, I just looked down at my ring and just polish that, polish that sucker up. Um, in terms of the coordinators on this team, the assistant head coach, and that is his only title, he does not have a, any kind of position coach title, is Jimmy Lake. McVeigh leans on him very heavily um, in the times that McVeigh's has had to be away. Jimmy Lake is the guy that gets tabbed to, to basically run the organization while he's gone. Uh, Michael Fleur comes in from the Jets as the new offensive coordinator and brings a lot of the same concepts. This isn't like a A mesh of two different styles, east and west, a lot of similar verbiage. Uh, I'm going to guess that he's going to take a lot of direction from McVay in terms of the way the offense gets drawn up and called. Defensive coordinator, we talked about Raheem Morris in terms of what he had to do last year. Hopefully he has a few more options this year. It's not fun to see people struggle because they have to. I'm guessing he's got a renewed sense of optimism with all the youth they brought in on that side of the ball, and we'll talk about that when we get to personnel. And then the special teams coordinator is Chase Blackburn. This is a good experienced coaching staff um, that is not, again, a radical conglomeration of different styles that are all under one big tent now, and you're going to try and make it work. Um, yes, some new faces, but generally pulling in the same direction. So feels like If they have hope to get good fairly quickly, uh, they don't have to overcome a lot of what do you call that? What do you do? Um, It's the same system. Yeah, it's just stability. You know, for once, this coaching
1: staff has stability. (laughs) (laughs) The NFL stopped plundering them for a year, which is nice. It's a good change of pace Uh, now next year. Who knows, Zach Robinson might be <laughs> somewhere else. And, you know, Raheem might get another call for a, another head coaching gig. Um, hell, even Michael LaFleur. We'll, we'll see what happens. Again, everybody loves to plunder from the Rams. But for now, stability is quite a nice thing. Uh, now, given all of that, the schematic information, the hints at some young players that we really, really like for them, uh, crossing our fingers that the Stars stay healthy, everything that we know, if I was going to invest in this Rams offense, in particular, the core of Matthew Stafford and the weapons around him, if I'm value hunting and I'm looking beyond the obvious of Cooper Cup, you know, he's going at like wide receiver four in fantasy right now. And I'm like, okay, I don't have a top five pick. I'm not getting Cooper Cup. How can I still get a piece of a Rams offense that we believe could return somewhat to form this year? I'm not necessarily looking at Van Jefferson, and I love Van Jefferson.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm looking at Puka Nakua, who is wide receiver 100. His ADP is 214, so you're literally getting him in the last round, basically. Uh, Whether it's best ball and underdog or any other format, you're, you're getting Puka in the last possible spot. I thoroughly believe that he is the new Robert Woods for this team, and that is lofty lofty expectations because bobby trees is beloved in the rams organization
0: and in this podcast
1: and in this podcast but looking at his skill set as a yards after catch threat as somebody who can get jet sweeps uh and actually do a lot of damage with it somebody who's a red zone weapon somebody who's a tough as nails intermediate threat even though he did have a lot of durability concerns that's why he dropped in the first place he plays the robert woods role like that's what he does And I think if he's even 80% of Robert Woods, getting him in the last round of every single best ball draft is going to be monstrous value because there are games when they're going to get in the red zone and he's going to get like three jet sweeps and maybe score on two of them. And that's all
0: you need. If I had three wishes from a football genie this year, I would spend one of them ensuring Puka Nakua was healthy all year Mm -hmm. because a healthy Puka Nakua is so freaking good. Loved him when he was at Washington. Couldn't stay healthy. Went to BYU. Loved what he was able to do there last year and a little bit of this year. Couldn't stay healthy. Went to the Senior Bowl. Wowed some people on day one. Couldn't stay healthy. Yeah. When he is on the field, he's got great size, tremendous agility. He is a very good route runner. Excellent hands. He is everything you want as a wide receiver, even one. I would put him at wide receiver one if i knew he was going to be healthy i want to see healthy puka nakua because he'll do damage in this offense he will be an incredibly solid number three coming into this offense and i do say number three knowing who they have on the depth chart if Puka's healthy he's easily three and if either of the top two guys get dinged up you can run him in either spot he's that good like i am a huge puka nakua guy but the Achilles heel has been the Achilles heel. He has not been able to stay on the field. Yeah, the good thing is he doesn't have to be
1: the wide receiver one. Like Cooper Cup is there, who's inarguably a top five receiver in the league. I would even say other than Jefferson and Jamar, that's where kind of the argument ends for me. Like I can't confidently take anybody else over Cooper after those first two. Like Tyreek is an even bet. Uh pretty much any other receiver you want to name is an even bet for me for Cooper Cup. He's amazing. So he's never going to have to be the number one. But as a complimentary piece and somebody who I think legitimately could be a highly efficient scoring machine on limited touches, again, you're getting him in the last round. Who cares? And then I also want to talk about the running backs, Uh, Cam Akers versus Zach Evans. Cam Akers is going as RB23 right now, so like a lower-end RB2. Uh, He's getting drafted at about the 77th pick right now. Zach Evans is getting drafted at pick 207. Yeah. I speak as somebody who in most of my best ball drafts, I'm getting Zach Evans and I'm getting Puka because (laughs) I watch a lot of rookies and I actually believe in the Rams offense this year. Um, I really do think Zach Evans is going to have a much bigger role than people think. Again, because of what we talked about earlier, this is an outside zone heavy team and Zach Evans has the burst and the speed in terms of, Curvilinear acceleration. I know. Big words. We've talked about it before. You know, when talking about big Travis word. ETNs. Zach Evans, I would say, uh, comp-wise, like running style, mm. is very Travis ETN-ish to me when he's getting the corner. Like he is faster when he's accelerating around the corner than when he's past the corner. That to me makes him incredibly deadly on outside zone. He can actually press the front side, unlike Akers, who I think is. Not that, not besmirching Akers at all, but like Akers I just don't think quite has the juice to really hit that front side. Zach Evans does. He's going to get more touches than people think, even as a complimentary piece. I think is a big play waiting to happen and somebody who, even just a few times this year, could be in line for a monster game.
0: Yeah, and Akers hasn't been the picture of health in his pro career either. So Mm -hmm. if he gets dinged up, which is very likely in a 17-game season, it's not a smack against Cam. It's a very few running backs play all 17 games and don't miss time. They miss some, some variation of a game, two games, three games, four games, six games, right? And if that happens anywhere in that middle range of like four to six games and Zach Evans is getting those touches as RB1 and you got him in the 200s, For an offense that was in the top 10 in rushing, even last year with all of their injuries and a notable rookie that they added in the draft on their offensive line, it's a pretty good
1: value bet. Speaking of value bets, by the way, Matthew Stafford himself, I would also say is relatively undervalued right now. He's going as QB 21 and that seems a little bit low for me. I know he doesn't bring the mobility that a lot of other quarterbacks do, so you're not really getting rushing yards from him. But again, with improved pass pro, which we think we're, we're, he's going to get from Steve Avila out of TCU, arguably the best pass protecting guard in this class, you're getting that infusion of talent in the receiving court, Nakua. You're getting Zach Evans, who can do damage as a receiver as well. Cooper Cup's back, Van Jefferson's there. You have Sean McVay as your yeah. as your head coach. I don't know QB twenty one seems quite low to me unless the injury risk for an older quarterback is why that's being priced in. But in best ball, where I I'm really more just looking for the peaks rather than like somebody who I have to guess. Oh, is he going to play? Is he not? Like yeah, it's best ball. Like I want somebody who's going to give me peaks, and I feel like Stafford is prime candidate as a very late pick at quarterback he's going to like pick 160
0: to be that guy who can give me peaks he's got to stay healthy and i feel like matthew stafford is aging a bit more like a running back than a quarterback he Mm -hmm. took so much punishment in detroit and he had injuries to places that you don't really want to see players have injuries he had back injuries he's had arm injuries since he's been with the rams um you know he's suffered concussions like He's beat up. He has played. He's a tough dude, and he has played a long time, and he's taken a ton of hits. And I think that's really what that is. If you have a healthy Matt Stafford out there and his arm doesn't fall off, he's easily worth more than that. But you can't guarantee that. They've started. Those injuries have started to add up over the past couple of years. He's missed time both of those years, and yeah, I think people are just a little bit hesitant. Yes, even though they're just peak hunting to say. Uh, you know, am I going to get six games? Am I going to get eight games? Maybe it's 10 or 12. You know, if we're lucky again, Matt Stafford is a warrior. He has taken so many shots and come back to play over and over again. If I was him, I am sure I would have walked away by now, but loves playing football and he's really effective when he's out there. Yes. Not a rushing threat. We know that, but can he dial it up in the passing game and give you, you know, some good weeks? Yes, if he is on the field, you're going to get that. He's going to give it to you. It's just whether or not he's there.
1: He's going right next to Derek Carr, Jordan Love, and Kenny Pickett, and Bryce Young also. So that's the kind of group he's mixed in with right now. Um, he's he's the best quarterback in that group. So, again, it's, it's a health question more than an ability question. Uh, now, if you yourself are a Rams fan, and you believe in Stafford staying on the field this year, and you believe in the Puka Nakua hype train, just like we do. Yes. And you want to try to capitalize on that and maximize that. Promo code bootleg over underdog fantasy. When you're doing all of your best ball drafts, you're going for that $15 million prize pool. Yes, $15 million in Best Ball Mania 4. You want to try to hit these you know, young Rams players in the last couple rounds. You can use promo code bootleg, they'll match your deposit up to $100. That extra $100, by the way, on the match deposit would give you four free entries into Best Ball Mania 4. Again, millions upon millions upon millions of dollars in that prize pool. $3 million, I believe, the first place. So, uh, yeah, if you're going to do it, do it now because this is the time of year. You know, June and July is when the winner gets drafted every single year. Yep. Like, typically the winning roster doesn't get drafted like August in the middle of preseason. That's when the values are set. You want to do it now before camp season and before, you know, preseason when all the hype trains really take off, because now is when you're going to get values. So, once again, thank you to Underdog for sponsoring the show and sponsoring really the entire season. Uh, EJ, let's talk about free agent losses slash trades, because this is kind of what we're talking about a little bit with the slash and burn.
0: There was a lot of painful moves, but necessary moves here. These are choices you have to make when you are a team on this path. You can call it rebuild. You called it that last year reload, which is this year. You are going to have to take some players that you like that have performed well for you and say goodbye to them because you do not have the cash to do that. And you are trying to free that cash up for future assets to make your next run at the peak. Um, Some notable losses for the Rams. uh, They had a really good backup quarterback situation. And there are very few teams in the NFL that have a really good backup quarterback situation, but Bryce Perkins played very well for them. And John Wolford was, you know, preseason he- hero every year for them. They believed in him and his ability to move the offense. Both of them go. That'll lead into the draft strategy. Leonard Floyd, the edge formerly of Chicago, who played very well in his Ram stint, was let go, recently signed by the Bills. Um, Folks like Malcolm Brown, who were really good depth in the running back room. Uh, Matt Skura, who ended up playing almost 50% of their snaps at center. Nick Scott moves on to the Bengals to replace their safety deficit. Taylor Rapp, so again, Scott and Rapp, you're sort of gutting pieces of the secondary. Greg Gaines, who was a favorite of ours, who was a. Big time snap eater on that interior defensive line rotation and long times Rams watchers will uh, probably bemoan his loss more than some others on this list because he was just consistently effective. Jalen Ramsey moves on in a trade to the Dolphins, played 98.9% of their snaps. Say what you want about Jalen, what he brings to your defense, that number of snaps, very difficult to replace and you're not going to do it with one player. Sean Robinson, interior defensive lineman as well. You're starting to just kind of tick off every level of every unit, offense, defense, and go, oh, we lost this guy, or these two guys, or this guy. This guy played a ton of snaps. Bobby Wagner moves on, goes back to Seattle, played 99.2% of the snaps. You might be thinking, oh, Bobby Wagner, he's old, he's wearing down. Played almost every snap for the Rams. Allen Robinson moves on, goes to the Steelers. There's a lot of talent here. We're not even getting into guys that the Rams were hyped about last offseason like Brandon Powell, who was, a, again, backup, valuable backup, wide receiver for them, and returner. Um, just a lot of dudes from both sides of the ball. I, I don't really feel like any unit went untouched. And, again, this is the reality of where they are as a team. They have to do this. They weren't happy about that. If they had more resources, they probably would have brought a few of those guys back. It's just not a choice. It's the nature of the business.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a money thing. Like, of course, you'd love to have Jalen Ramsey, but it's a money thing. It, it That's what it comes down to. If I was going to calculate all of the, the contract values that walked out the door, <laughs> God, it's got to be, what, 50, maybe 60 million? It's something a like lot that. of cash. It's, it's a lot of cash in terms of, like, where they signed elsewhere, right? So... They just—they didn't quite have the space. Uh, you can always kick the can down the road, but eventually, that bill becomes so large that you have to have a year where you just eat it, so you can reset things. Stan Kroenke, as an owner, is totally okay with eating it. Like it's not a cash flow problem. No. It's more so just we can only do contracts that that engage in cap fuckery for so long until we we really have to have a year like this. So. It is what it is. It came down to it. They had to. They had to make a couple of key trades and releases, and it's unfortunate. But again, they did have a really nice draft to hopefully replenish some of these losses over time. I'm not. I'm not trying to say any of these DBs are ever going to be Jalen Ramsey or, you know, any of these receivers are ever going to be like Peak Odell. Yep. Didn't play for them last year, but they do have some young pieces in the pipeline. In terms of guys, they did bring back that they wanted to prioritize. They brought back Brian Allen. Uh, they brought back Coleman Shelton, uh, Michael Hecht. You know, a nice little rotational piece for them for less than a million. Big Michael, Fecht, Michael Hecht fan over here, so that's a really good deal. Uh, and then in terms of outside additions, again, there was, wasn't really any money to work with, so they had to find another uh, young, well, not young, another backup quarterback that didn't cost anything. Yes. That's Brett Ripien for a million dollars. And then uh, Hunter Long they acquired in the Jalen Ramsey trade, who also cost basically nothing at 1.2. So very much a slash and burn salary year, but a necessary one. Uh, In terms of the draft, though, we mentioned that they brought in a lot of guys to try to backfill those holes that were created by all the cap problems. They had 14 picks,
0: used all of them, and got, for the most part, a very, very good group here. There's a lot of guys that we can see contributing. A lot of guys that we talked about in the run-up to the draft that we really liked in certain roles, some of them just overall for talent. And the Rams pretty much hit it. And again, even if only half of these guys work out, that's seven dudes. It's 14 picks overall. So strap in. Go get a drink if you need to, it's a long <laughs> list. We're gonna talk about all of them because there is talent all the way down. In fact, the final pick is a guy that we highlighted at the Shrine Bowl and really loved. So stay for the end, it's good. Right up top, round two was their first pick. They didn't have a round one pick. I was 36th overall, they grabbed the guard. Steve Avila out of TCU, player we both really liked. Very strong, excellent pass protector. Fits their run game, I think. And they needed an influx of youth on that interior offensive line. Avila fits the bill perfectly. Round three, pick 77. Byron Young, that's the Tennessee Byron Young, not the Alabama Byron Young. The edge, they probably knew they weren't going to be able to sign Leonard Floyd. They needed a replacement. Byron Young is uh, has got a great RAS score. He is fire coming off the line. Got to develop some counter moves, but he can bend and get around the edge. Explosive, bendy, agile, also incredible
1: on stunts. Very Von Miller-ish on stunts in terms of how patient he is. Love that guy.
0: Round three, pick 89. One of our favorite players in the entire draft, defensive lineman Kobe Turner. We fell in love with Kobe uh, when we got to interview him at the Shrine Bowl. He was a defensive tackle out of Wake Forest. He is currently backing up Aaron Donald, and he has just got to have stars in his eyes. If we had been able to sort of have that foreshadowing and ask him that question, um, I think he actually probably would have had a decent reaction. Very composed young man, incredibly intelligent, Great penetrator, um, you know, perfect spot for him. We cheered when he was selected by the Rams. We thought he might end up in that spot. Um, really excited he's in town, and I think Rams fans are going get to get to fall in love with him pretty quickly. Round four, they decide, mm, we're not going to bet at all on Brett Ripon being our backup quarterback. Pick 128, they go out and get the national championship quarterback, Stetson Bennett, from Georgia. Had some off-field issues, allowed him to slide Absolute gamer reminds me a lot of Wolford in a lot of ways. In that, he is, I think, going to be a great Sean McVay quarterback.
1: It's a type of system where he will thrive. Like, there, Stetson Bennett would not do well for every team. No, the Rams are one of the teams where I think he would. And God forbid Matthew Stafford goes down. If Stetson came in, all would not be lost. He could manage the offense. Um, I'm not as wild about his arm strength as a lot of other people. I, I know in the pre-jab process, especially at the combine, like he really lets some stuff fly. But I feel like in terms of functional arm strength in game situations, it wasn't it wasn't that like throwing on air at the combine. I it's not Stafford's arm. Uh, nope. <laughs> that being said, like as a quarterback, he's got mobility. Uh, he he did have some really nice throws at Georgia, and in an offense like Sean McVay's, where again it's, it's a lot of. We're creating space for you with scheme. Uh, we're, we're putting defenders in conflict based on how we scheme things up. Like Sean McFay is just a, a great architect of offense that he's going to make it as easy as possible. And Stetson, they would be okay with him.
0: Yeah, and all he's done for his entire career is consistently overachieve. They had a lot of other guys lined up at Georgia that were supposed to be the quarterback. Yeah. Stetson was supposed to be the backup. Took the job. They kept bringing those guys in, five stars on five stars. Never gave up the job. Won him a couple national championships. Pretty impressive player. Uh, I think a good addition and way down in round four. Great value for them. Round five. So we're on pick five and we're already in round five. A lot of these are low round picks, but that didn't dissuade Les Snead. He was looking for value all the way down. Um, Nick Hampton, the edge out of Appalachian State. Offensive tackle also from Georgia, Warren McClendon. Another round five pick. They have two more after this so they went, this is crazy. 174 was Warren McLennan. 175 was tight end Davis Allen from Clemson. 177 was Puka Nakua. Yeah, they just kept stacking talent. I really like Davis Allen. I thought he was really good um, in terms of pass catching tight end. Again, he doesn't have to be one. That's Tyler Higby's role, like without question. And Davis Allen was one of those guys in a very loaded tight end field that felt like he had a lot of skills and in other years might be more highly valued, but because there were so many good players ahead of him in this year's tight end class, he wasn't valued as highly. Uh, Puka Nakua, we talked about, was 177 from BYU. Round six, we're in two now, and we're still only just after, over halfway through. 182, one of my favorite picks down the board. They go for Travius hodges Tomlinson from TCU. Undersized corner who is an absolute dog. When you look at his numbers yes he got burned some but he played outside for them he's five eight i think uh
1: five seven i think officially I gotta, I gotta double check but he ain't taller than five eight
0: no and never backs down is incredibly tough and had great stats as a corner to back it up um tape matches that as well when i say dog he is all fight no give mm-hmm. and i i'm excited to see what he can do i'm certainly trepidatious about the size He's been very durable at that size. He's incredibly quick. Um, he's got great instincts. It's just that he's 5'7 slash 5'8. Very explosive, though. And he does kind of make up for
1: lack of size and length at times with just sheer vertical ability. Really, the only time where I think his size kind of uh, hampers him a little bit is when bigger body receivers can kind of cross his face and box him out. Because... There's only so much you can do if you're <laughs> hanging on somebody's back hip and the ball's thrown, you know, against your leverage and everything like that. For for a smaller guy, you can't really do much. But uh, in almost every other coverage situation or coverage position, I should say, he was totally fine, even at that size. He played a lot of outside corner at TCU. I would imagine he's either going to be a safety or a nickel uh, for the Rams. I, I don't know if they'll want him to play outside, but... With physical gifts that
0: he's got and the attitude that he's got, he'll he'll be fine. Yeah, and I think he'll probably slot in as a nickel and he would back up another player we really liked last year in the process to Kobe Durant, and I think that pairing would be a lot of fun. Round six, pick 189. They go to Nebraska, get Edge, O'Shawn Mathis. Um, big, heavy-handed guy that, again, is going to add, hopefully, some pass rush. Again, you're in round six. These start to be lottery tickets. They also, in round six, pick 215, get the aforementioned Zach Evans, the running back from Old Miss. Round seven, they go for a specialist, Ethan Evans, the punter from Wingate, football powerhouse Wingate. And he is a monster, by the way. Uh, so we actually did get to watch
1: him. Like, again, it's bootleg. We do punter scouting here. <laughs> Half of us do punter scouting, let's be honest. His leg is insane. Like, he has a monster leg. Um, I'm I'm trying to remember the exact yardage for it but he he posted a video on on his own YouTube channel of him doing this punt and I swear to god from foot to landing it was like 70 yards. Like he's
0: I don't know what he's on <laughs> but I need to be on it. Do <laughs> you want to be on it too? Oh, that's awesome. Round 7 pick 234 safety Jason Taylor the 2nd out of Oklahoma and round 7 pick 259 Deswan Johnson out of Toledo. Now, let's talk about Deswan, guy that we talked to uh, several times at Shrine Bowl. Didn't get to interview because the schedule just kept not lining up. We almost flew out to Toledo's pro day because we wanted to. We wanted to interview him so badly. Loved his tape, tremendous penetrator. I feel like something was going on with him that he ended up in round seven. There had to have been some sort of medical thing or. Something something. we didn't know about, because if you watch his tape, he is
1: not a seventh round player. I was talking to my buddy who was a a coach at um, Ohio in that conference. Yeah. And like their coaching staff at Ohio was rejoicing when he went to the NFL. He obliterated them. Every school in that conference he obliterated. Like They are so happy he's gone because they couldn't block him. They straight up could not block him. He is so talented and so gifted. I don't care what the testing numbers say. He's so much more athletic than his testing numbers. That's why I think there must have been some sort of injury thing going on because, you know, watching him at Shrine Bowl, but more importantly watching the tape from the season, God, when the pads are on, there's nothing you can do. He's such a versatile kind of inside-outside guy. Reminds me of... um, he's not just in tuck in terms of frame, but in terms of role, right? Like a a defensive end that you kick inside and just say, go murder some guard because you're faster than them. He can do that. Michael Bennett also comes to mind. Like Hmm. that type of inside outside versatile defensive line piece that will be a factor in their pass rush. At some point there is going to be a NASCAR type package of, (laughs) Aaron Donald, Deswan Johnson, Kobe Turner, and, like, Byron Murphy. And it's the fastest
0: front four the Rams have probably had in years. Yes, please. I cannot wait. I so severely hope that that happens this season because people's eyes will get open. One of those guys is getting home. Keep in
1: mind, uh, Kobe Turner, by the way, Aaron Donald had a legendary three-cone time for a a defensive tackle. Kobe Turner beat his three-cone time, and he's, like, 15 pounds heavier. Like it is freak on freak on freak on the defensive line. That's why I'm so high on them. Honestly, Even, I'm not saying they're gonna be a playoff team, but like they're the young be fun to talent watch. they got was so explosive on defense. It, it's a draft that they desperately needed for so long, and I'm happy that they finally bit the bullet and was just like, okay. Let's eat all this money. We finally have to. Let's accumulate all these day three picks. This is one of the deepest draft classes we've ever seen because of COVID kind of throwing off the scheduling of a bunch of guys that maybe should have come out years earlier. So it's a deep class. Let's get a bunch of day three picks and just go shopping. I love what they did. This is one of my favorite classes for any team in the NFL, not just because of size, but because of value at every
0: single pick given what they had to work with I would give them a solid a easily easily even uh with their UDFA class like they
1: they brought in a bunch of UDFAs that we really like too like Teron Vincent um the Ohio State interior defensive lineman because apparently they just can't get enough (laughs) penetrating defensive tackles uh Tyon Evans the running back from Louisville Quindell Johnson the safety out of Memphis who I was talking up incessantly I was obnoxious about Quindell Johnson I think looking at their safety core right now, and I know they've been trying to to find guys with the the kind of skill set that Quindell has as a hybrid safety slash nickel. They've been trying to find one for a while. I really do feel like even as a UDFA, he's going to get significant snaps in that type of role this year. He's probably better at it than most of the guys that are on the roster because the only competition he really has for that role is either A, Trey Hodges just- Tomlinson, which he's bigger than, and also I think a better tackler than. Yeah, I would rather have Trey be more of a deep safety than, than closer to line of scrimmage because of that reason. But he's also competing against Quentin Lake for that role. He's competing against Richard LeCount for that role. And I guess Russ Yeast. Like Quendell could beat those guys out. He really could. He's that, that talented to me.
0: Yeah, they again had a very large UDFA class. But there's a few players in here. The one I want to highlight is Xavier Smith, the wide receiver from Florida A&M, who's one of my honorable mentions in our Offensive Gems episode. Undersized, but completely electric. And they've got him listed as their backup return specialist for both kicks and punts. I think he could earn himself a role in the primary offense as well. Like I like him as much as Tutu Atwell. And that is not a shot at Tutu Atwell. Tutu Atwell played pretty well in an under-the-radar kind of capacity last year. Uh, We said the Rams shut it down with four or five games to go. Tutu Atwell did not. And he showed some nice separation when nobody was watching, when everybody had turned off the Rams games. Xavier Smith has that kind of ability. He just runs away from guys. Pretty good hands, excellent ability to get open, return versatility. I could see him making this team. All that brings us finally to the report card. Again, we've
1: talked them up. We've hand-waved away a lot of the tougher pills to swallow. We've done our best to explain why the Rams might not be as bad as people expect this year. Again, brings us to the report card. These are four categories that we judge uh, either as up, even, or down, or I guess slightly up or slightly down in some cases. Very simple report card. Front office, we're going to go with even. Stable as stable gets. I would even say slightly up just because they finally bit the bullet, and I've been waiting for them to do that for a long time, but they finally did it, and I think they did it in the best possible way. Um, I'm I'm willing to accept even, but I I might argue for slightly up just because I I think Les needs doing a good job there. Coaching will go up. Really like the addition of Lafleur. I think this staff is as strong as ever. It's a great staff. Uh, I think last year's record was not indicative of the quality of the staff. That was more indicative of just the unfortunate circumstances of injury. This is a good group of coaches led by, of course, Sean McVay, who's one of the best in the entire NFL. Offense. We're going to go even here, mainly because a lot of the problems last year were more injury-based than anything else. Assuming their top guys stay healthy, we'll go even until proven otherwise. Defense, you and I had a slight disagreement on this one. You wanted to go even. I wanted to go slightly up just based on the quality of the talent I think has been infused through the draft. Obviously, they lost guys too. And so we're counting on a bunch of young guys to, in aggregate, make up for the stars or rather key contributors that have been lost. I could see either way, but for the sake of optimism and because we're in L.A., I'm going to argue up on defense. What? Brett Coleman is
0: overvaluing young talent in oh, the NFL? No. <laughs> no.
1: Nothing of not predictable. Say it isn't so.
0: <laughs> I love the young talent. Assuming that Raheem Morris is going to be able to work magic with all of it that got brought in, get it to gel, and you know play well quickly. Look, if that happens, I'm super excited to see it. I think the Rams are going to be a fun team to watch. There's... Teams we think that aren't going to be overall successful that are fun to watch and teams that just plain old aren't. That's the worst kind. (laughs) They're not winning and they're not fun to watch. I think the Rams might not be winning as much as people would like them to. Certainly their fans would like them to in 2023, but I think they are going to be fun to watch actually on both sides of the ball. Does that equate to wins? Probably not this year, but this year isn't the thing. So I could see flat. I could see slightly up. There's a lot of fun, fresh defensive talent. Are they as good as all those losses that we mentioned going out the door? No, they're not. Might they be in a couple of years? Yeah, they might be, and they have a lot of swings. All of that now brings us to ceiling and floor, where EJ and I both pick
1: a ceiling and wins and a floor and wins that we think is possible, rather a range of outcomes that we think is possible for this team. A lot of people might be expecting three wins, four wins, five wins. No, I'm going with eight as their ceiling, <laughs> which sounds so underwhelming. But when you consider that, like, the Rams are one of the teams that everybody's talking about, oh, they're, they're in the Caleb Williams and the Drake May sweepstakes. I don't think they are anymore. I really don't like. If there was a, a time, you know, early this offseason where I was kind of like, oh, maybe maybe they are kind of embracing the tank here. And, you know, maybe this is sure. just going to be Stafford and AD and McVay riding off into the sunset. I don't know if I believe that anymore. I think they've had such a, a good bounce back offseason in terms of young talent acquired that I I kind of think they're going to be mid. Which for Rams, you know, fans would be a welcome change compared to last year.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go one less. I'm going to say seven. I can't see eight wins Even if the offense stays healthy completely, look, if that offense is all on the field all year, they can be very good. They can be top 10 with the talent they have. But it kind of reminds me of like Cardinals teams from years past where we love the top level of talent. And if it drops off, oh boy. Um, And in some key positions, they've had some trouble staying healthy. If that happens again, hmm. I don't think so. I'm going to say seven wins because, again, even if the offense is the first line offense is all on the field and producing like we think they can, I still think that young defense is going to struggle early on especially. So I'm going to go with seven as my ceiling. In terms of floor, again, it's not going to
1: be as low as people think. Uh, our floor is not first overall territory. Yeah. Yours is three, which is if the bottom completely falls out. Right. My floor is four, which, again, if the bottom – completely falls out that sounds bleak that sounds dire compared to a lot of other teams where it's like oh their floor is 10 wins or whatever for Cincinnati and Baltimore that's the worst case scenario the more likely scenario is like six or seven wins you know they 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 show some growth the youth movement gets some experience we lock and load for 2024 that's the most likely scenario here and I think for Rams fans considering they got a ring out of that 2021 gambit of a season, having one down year, one reload year, and then we're back at it three seasons later, I, I think that's a perfectly acceptable price to pay.
0: Yeah, and I really think they're looking at this as a development year. Even if they do keep that top crust of offensive talent on the field, they're going to be developing guys on the defense because their their defense is nothing but young guys. If you look at their uh, early preseason depth chart right now, There are key contributors all over that defense that are one and two years in or, you know, first year, second year into their NFL career. Um, They're going to get development, and if those guys don't play well, they're going to move them, and there's three more young guys behind them because they had all these draft picks. So they're going to find some guys that they really want to move forward with that they think are keys, and they're going to identify holes that they need to fill in next year's free agency in the draft. That's what this year is about, getting one – tick closer or many small ticks closer to where they want to be next year and rebounding as quickly as they can. The only real question is
1: if they do well enough and they show promise and they show growth, will it be enough to convince Stafford to come back in 2024? That's the hope. That's the goal, right? Is, is he stays healthy and he's feeling good In January, and the young guy showed enough promise where he's like, Yeah, I could do that again. That's kind of the game plan here is just survive now for the sake of the future. Or Stetson Bennett does what Stetson Bennett does. And somehow wins championships out of nowhere. Exactly. (laughs) Like
0: Stafford gets hit early, Stetson comes on, gets the first sort of four out of the first six games to sort of break the crust off and then start stringing together solid performances. And they go, I think we've got something here. We can move on and build around this. We think that's a competitive strategy. They'd be fine with that too. Anytime you can get a starting quarterback on day three, I think, you know, it's kind
1: of automatically a win. Shout out Aiden (laughs) O'Connell. All right. That'll close out the Rams. Uh, Now we're starting to get into the big boys of the division, so to speak. Uh, Seattle and the 49ers, two teams that we expect to not just make playoff pushes, but potentially make deep playoff pushes. Seattle comes tomorrow. 49ers come the day after that, and then we're doing our NFC West overall kind of holistic look at the division as a whole and comparing it to other previous divisions that we've done so far in the series. Uh, Yeah, EJ, you have a flight to catch. And then you're going to come
0: down in a couple weeks and uh, attack the rest of this division. Yeah, it's been fun so far in this series. Looking forward to the rest of it. We've got a lot more content coming for you this summer. Um, we're feeling good about it. We hope you're feeling good about it. Let us know in the comments how you think it's going. Uh, always uh, always room to make mid-season adjustments for us
1: too. Once again, uh, the promo code if you want to support our sponsors that help make this series possible in the first place. Underdog Fantasy, promo code BOOTLEG. They'll match your deposit up to $100. Uh, they have made all of this go this year, and we cannot thank them enough. Uh, all right, EJ, let's get you to the airport. We'll see you guys tomorrow.